to the Freedom Nation podcast with Jeff Kickle. On this show, Jeff shares his expertise in financial and retirement planning from a different perspective. Planning for your Freedom Day, which is the first day that you wake up and have enough income or assets and do not have to go to work that day. Learn how to calculate what you need, how to generate income sources, and listen to interviews from others who've done it themselves. Get ready to experience your own Freedom Day. Hey, everybody, it's Jeff here once again with the Freedom Nation podcast, and I am so excited today to introduce you to a friend of mine that uh, was introduced to me to a, through another friend. Um, his name is Vince Warnock, and he is down in New Zealand. So in his day, he's actually a day ahead of me right now in the morning while it's the evening for me. So uh, Vince, welcome to the show, my friend. Well, welcome from the future. It's so yes. good to be here, man. <laughs> hey, can you tell me what the stock market's going to do today, by the way? Uh, yeah, yeah. No, ethically, I no. <laughs> I really wish it worked that way. It'll be so good. Oh, that'd be awesome. Yeah, we just get on a Zoom call every day and we'd yeah. both make money. The, the only thing I can tell you is the world hasn't ended. Okay. Everyone, all of us are still alive. It's a good right. thing. So and the sun go. came up this morning, right? It did indeed. Yep. And it looked gorgeous. So there we go. All right. All right. Well, we're good. Well, Vince, uh, welcome to the show. I'm really excited to uh, have you talk about your story a little bit. So let's start off with that. Tell us a little bit about your story and how you got to where you are today. Absolutely. Well, a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. No, um, so <laughs> I have to put at least one Star Wars reference in. It's yes, just well, it's a given, right? And I see him in the background there. So that's <laughs> awesome. <laughs> well, um, look, man, uh, Jeff, so my background, um, without going into my childhood and, and growing up in poverty and abuse and all that kind of stuff, but my career background really has been very eclectic. So I trained as an electronic engineer, um, electronics engineer, and I did that purely because I wanted to be the guy that made all the gadgets for James Bond or Batman until I realized that these aren't actually real things. It's not really a great career. And also, it's hell of a boring. Um, so I kind of branched out at the same time doing computer engineering, software engineering, and then got into sound engineering. And just realized that despite my passion for technology, which was very tangible, I love technology. I love what it brings to this world. I love the potential it unlocks in everybody. But despite all of that, that's not what I'm actually passionate about. I'm more passionate about people. So that started a kind of different phase of my career when I understood this and the intersection of, of you know, um, technology and human behavior became my kind of career in marketing and entrepreneurship. So I then went on a journey where I went in and out of both uh, corporate life and startups. You know, I would start my own company, fail it miserably, go back with my tail between my legs and get a real job, you know, and do that for a little bit. And then I get that passion again and I'd be out there trying to build something new. Um, did a stint on radio. I was an on-air announcer at one of our largest radio stations here for a number of years. Absolutely love that. That was my well, my dream job when I was seven. So when I was seven years old, I made a crystal radio set and I used to listen to these people and I go, wait a minute. You get paid to like play music, to hang out with cool people and interact with an audience. I mean, come on. That's got to be the dream job. Are you they don't me tell you're you going to pay listen. me to do this? Yeah, I know. I know. But the only problem is they don't tell you. They don't pay you that much to do well, that. Yes. So, yeah. Um, so I kind of got out of that. Um, but then I started to understand more and more about people, understand more and more about business and technology and started to see the wins. So I would create, instead of creating and failing, I would create and succeed in the business. And I finally came off the back of uh, my largest acquisition. So built a company over about three and a half years of, of extreme anxiety and stress. Um, but we, we managed to exit from multi-eight figures and 
that was that was a, a very crazy ride, but a very enjoyable outcome. So that was really cool. But then I went into the dream job on paper, which was uh, I became the chief marketing officer at Signal Insurance. And on, like I said, on paper, this was the spectacular job. The pay was ludicrous, if I'm honest. Like you know, <laughs> they pay you very well when you're a C-suite executive at that level. Um, I got to work on some crazy, amazing projects. Like we were working on some really sophisticated AI-based stuff, uh, which I'm really passionate about. So it was like, this is really exciting for me. Uh, and I got the results as well. I managed to turn their online channel from almost nothing to almost half their revenue. So pre- pretty much double the revenue of a Fortune 100 company in five years. And that got noticed. So it got noticed internally. It got noticed externally. I, I, I got to travel the world and speak on stages. To be honest, that's the part I really do love. Um, I got to travel the world, speak on stages everywhere. Um, I also got a number of awards as a result of that, um, including being recognized by Adobe as one of the top 50 marketers in the world. Published my first book when I'm there. I'm sitting in my huge office. Um, I'm not allowed to officially say it was the biggest office in the building, but it really was. It's just our CEO said, no, mine's bigger. And I'm like, okay, I'm not going to argue. But I was sitting there in this office. I did, I did actually take the tape measure and measure it. <laughs> Mine actually is bigger, but okay. <laughs> I actually did. Don't tell anyone. <laughs> but I had my Mad Men style whiskey cabinet. Everything just seemed perfect. And I remember sitting there one day and it was pre-COVID. So this is like um, November, December, 2019. Mm. And I remember sitting there, seeing the cruise ships come into the harbor. It's just, we, we get a beautiful view there. I saw these cruise ships come in and I'm going, I'm going on you next. And then I'm going on you and I'm going to go to the Caribbean. I'm going to go to all these places. And then I realized I was miserable. <laughs> and I remember sitting there feeling so, so guilty and so ashamed and so embarrassed about the fact that I really did not want this job. Mm-hmm. I had the the dream job when you're a like when you're a marketer and particularly here in New Zealand and Australia that and working for Cigna as the chief marketing officer is one of the like the pinnacles of a career. Yeah, and here I was with this job, with everything, with all the wins, with all the glory, and went, "This is it. I hate this." And I had to really understand what was going on in me. I remember going home. Um, meeting my wife, got home, I walked in the door, and she just looked at me and said, "You are so unhappy." There, I went, "Yeah," and she goes, "We need to make a change." Yeah. Um, so I actually went through a process of trying to understand why I was so miserable when everything on paper was perfect. And I realized it came down to one thing, which is the fact that I did not feel fulfilled. Hmm. Um, and despite working on great projects and working with great people, there's nothing wrong with working there. The job itself was a great job. Everyone there was amazing. Well, almost everyone. Um, <laughs> there's always one. There's always a few, yeah. yeah. But, but I remember thinking that the fact is I'm not where I need to be, which is at the forefront helping people. And this is something that's been important to me since I was a kid. I've always had a, a desire to see others reach their potential, a desire to help other people. And I didn't feel like I was achieving that there. In fact, when you're at that level, the challenge is when you're, when you're a C-suite exec, everyone under you is a dollar sign or a data point. Every one of your clients is a dollar sign or a data point. Even though you're working on some really fulfilling kind of um, projects, essentially, you're not being fulfilled by people. And I really had a problem with that. So, so well, I made the easiest hard decision your, of my yeah, life. You lose your connection to people too. Oh, absolutely. I, I I started to forget who I was, in all honesty. Uh, I'm a very empathetic person. I, I care deeply. But I found myself stepping into this role and where I wasn't myself. I was stepping into a role where I had to make really hard decisions without considering the outcome of those. And mm-hmm. that just grieved me because I felt like I'm not being me. I'm I'm almost play acting at a role, if that makes sense. Um, so, so, yeah, so I made the easiest hard decision ever. It was um, December 2019. Uh, I remember having a conversation with our CEO and I said, look, 
I've realized that my time here might be up. And she went, nope. And I went, yep, I'm going to leave here and I'm going to become a full-time author because I knew that the next book I wrote was really going to impact a lot of entrepreneurs. I'm really passionate about entrepreneurship. Um, I've been in and out of entrepreneurship so much. It's something I genuinely believe that entrepreneurs are like the backbone of our economy, the backbone of our society, but it's also where it's just packed with creative people and creative energy and just it's a different breed of people. I just absolutely love it. And apologies if you're not an entrepreneur. Um, but hey, I remember sitting there going, become entrepreneurs, bud. So this is yeah, good. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So once, honestly, once you get the entrepreneurial bug, bug, once that gets its hook in you, I'm just telling you now it's all over. You're going to get so frustrated with your job. Um, but this happened. And I said, look, I'm, I'm going to go off and I'm going to become a full-time author. And she genuinely thought, not even jokingly, genuinely thought I was having a breakdown. She was like, we need to get you a psychologist. We need to make sure you looked after. I'm like, no, no, it's not about that. I'm fine. And she goes, but do you know how much we pay you? And I went, yes, I'm aware. It's not about the money. And she goes, I don't understand. And I'm like, and that's part of why I'm leaving. So January 2020, that was it. I was out of there, um, left there to become a full-time author. That then went a little bit crazy because I have uh, quite quite severe ADHD and RSD. And as a result, when you're writing a book full-time, you do one thing full-time, nonstop, you go a little loopy. And I lasted about a week. (laughs) I remember (laughs) walking around the house and thought, something's got to change. So I started working out of bars and cafes in town, um, which was actually really nice, except one of the bars there started to know me really well. So I'd walk in, they go, Vinny! And they'd be pouring a gin and tonic. I'm like, dude, it's it's like nine in the morning. Like, (laughs) But thank you. And I'd drink the gin and tonic. Um, So... I realized that this is not healthy at all. I needed to expand what I was doing. And that kind of led me on the path to where I am now, I guess. That's wonderful. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about what you're doing now, because it's really, it, yeah, I, I think it sounds, when we talked about this originally, this sounds like it was a dream job for you, really. Yeah. Want, yeah. yeah. And it definitely was, man. I mean, look, I, and I'm very grateful for my time there. I'm very grateful mm-hmm. the doors that opened, all those kind of things. My book wouldn't have been a bestseller um, if I had a, you know, if I hadn't been working there because I got the notoriety, I got certainly got the recognition and every signal market in the world bought copies because it's literally the methodology that I was using to succeed. And they were like, hey, we need to we need to copy this really, really quickly. Um, so that was cool. But um, but yeah, but I was just incredibly unfulfilled. And and I do miss the one aspect I do miss about, though, I will tell you, Jeff, is uh, some of the travel, even though a lot of the time I didn't get to spend time with my family, which I don't like, but even now and then I could take them with me uh, and speaking on stages around the world. I, I miss that. I'm still here in New Zealand where we're still in lockdown, essentially. So, um, yeah, it's getting a bit tiring. But face to face on the road again, buddy. Oh, jealous, man. Yeah, I've got, I've got, to, I've got to get traveling again. But anyway, so, so I left there to do what I'm doing now. So, as I said, I started writing that book. That then became multiple books. That then became launching my podcast, which has just been the most fun thing in the world. Um, I think anyone who's not in podcasting, honestly, just listen to me and Jeff. We love this kind of stuff. It's so much fun. Um, but it also led to what I'm doing, which is uh, really helping entrepreneurs to become visible. So I help a lot of entrepreneurs to become published authors. I help them launch their podcasts. I help them get in the news, get on stages, and, and to really um, craft a message and an origin story that connects deeply with their audience. So that's been one of the most fulfilling things. In fact, I still remember, man, because uh, COVID kind of hit the world just after I had left. So yeah, literally. It, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so a lot of the a lot of the companies and the entrepreneurs that I was interviewing for my book um, all then had an immediate problem. They would say, look, we would love to help you, but we're kind of freaking out. Mm-hmm. We have no revenue coming in. We have all the same overheads. We don't even know if we're going to exist in two months' time. It's that unsure. Mm-hmm. And when you hear that and you're passionate about entrepreneurship, that just broke my heart. 
Yeah. I remember there was another conversation with the wife where she looked at me and she said, oh, good grief. You can't let go of this, can you? And I went, no. And she goes, you need to help them, don't you? And I went, yeah. Yes. Go on. <laughs> <laughs> so, I, so I asked them all the same thing. I said, look, can I come alongside you and at least try and help? Okay. Um, they said, yep, sure. And I did that for free because I just wanted to help these people who were contributing to my book. Uh, and we, every single one said yes, and we didn't have a single casualty, which was amazing. That's awesome. Fact, we had some staggering results. We had businesses that unlocked a niche they didn't even know was there. And some of, some of them pivoted. Some of them just took their stuff online and then found there was a bigger audience than they ever imagined. So they doubled or tripled their revenue. It was just so much fun. And I remember, I actually, I remember going to pick my wife up from work. This is so lame, by the way. I got to pick her up from work. Now, full disclosure, my wife is an addictions counselor. She okay. works with at the end of their rope. She works with people that are really desperate, that really need help. And she transforms these people's lives. She's an incredible woman and, and does far more good for this world than I do. But anyway, I went to pick her up and I was sitting there in the car waiting for her to come down. And I was listening to these messages from these clients, some of them in tears, some of them just going, oh my goodness, I just signed this new client. I can't believe that I'm actually thriving at the moment. I just thank you so much. And then they all started offering to pay me, which was all even better. Um, but all these messages, and I'm sitting there in the car with tears streaming down my face. My wife walked in the car and she just goes, oh, what's going on? <laughs> and I just said, I've got to play you these Crap, I've been dealing with this at work all day. Now I've got to deal with you. <laughs> but I played with these inspirational messages of all these people. And I expected her to go, oh, my goodness, that is so fulfilling. You have such a wonderful job. But she just looked at me and went, yeah, I saved two people's life today. Yeah. I went, okay, you win. <laughs> you have, yeah, more, well, I kind of saved their business and their life, but okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah they, not they quite the same thing. Getting, but yeah, they know. didn't end up getting all the way to you. How about that? <laughs> exactly. I never even thought of that angle. Oh, my goodness, I'm totally owning that. <laughs> yeah. But uh, it was, and it was awesome. And it was this, this bubbly feeling on the inside that I hadn't felt in a long time, Jeff. It was that feeling of being fulfilled, of being connected to what I'm called to do, essentially. I know that sounds really woo-woo and weird, but and I do believe every single one of us is called to do something. There's something that you've been thinking about that you're holding off from that really, once you connect with it, you're just going to feel this deep sense of satisfaction and fulfillment. And, and that's what I had stepped into. So, so I've been just having the absolute blast over the last few years. Like, uh, honestly, this year, I set a challenge for myself, Jeff. We're totally off script here for a moment. But I set a challenge for myself. I thought, right, I really want to push myself. So I thought, if I helped 20 of my clients become uh, authors last year, I'm going to set a target of 200. So I'm just getting to the point where I'm just setting these audacious goals and just trying to have as much impact in this world as I possibly can. Yeah. So do you have a, a process that you follow? I mean, because you, you've published books. So, all right, let's say you're becoming an author. You, know, you want to become an author. Is there kind of a step-by-step -step process that you've developed or is it? Yeah, there, there is actually, it's, it is actually different for everybody, but okay. it's something that I support with everybody. So, and it depends on the type, like the accessibility you have to being an author. And what I mean by that is, like I said, I helped 20 of my clients become authors last year, Yeah, but there was a whole pile of my clients who couldn't become an author because they didn't have the time or the energy or the motivation to write a full book. So I made an offer available where now they can be part of a contribution book. So a co-authoring book uh, where I bring together 10 of them. So instead of writing, 50 or 60,000 words, they're going to write 5,000 words, which is very yeah. easy for most people. Yeah. Um, so I make it really accessible. Work, work, really. Yeah. <laughs> but there, there is a process. And I'll give, you, I'll give you a little snippet into what I do with people here. So the first thing we do is we forget about the book for a moment. And we okay. think at the end, if, if anyone had read your book, like forget about what the content in there is, but if anyone had read your book and they get to the end, what do you want them to have thought, to felt, and to have done? In other words, what do you want them to think, to feel, and to do? And that's the first thing I get any of the authors to fill out because 
that will connect you with that. That'll give you the structure of your book. That'll help you to understand what to include in there. But more importantly, and this is a really key thing when you're writing a book, it'll it'll let you know what to not have in your book, what to exclude from your book. Because the first thing that happens when you start writing is you go, right, I'm going to write about, I don't know, cooking eggs, right? I'm going to teach people how to make scrambled eggs. Oh, but I better teach them how to make good bacon so we can have it with that. Oh, actually, I better teach them how to make the toast. Oh, I better teach them how to make the drink that goes with it and everything else. No, whoever's reading that wants to make scrambled eggs. So all of these things pop in and you think you've got to fill this book with all this knowledge and all this thing, but actually they're more clear, the more concise, the more, uh, the easier it is for people to consume this, the more impact that book is going to have. So I I take them through that. And then I take them through the other things, which are always inevitable, uh, writer's block, which, uh, which is tied to the other one, which is imposter syndrome. And I'm telling you now, it doesn't matter who you are. You are going to face imposter syndrome when you write a book. I, I still remember publishing my first book, Jeff. I, it should have been a great accomplishment. should have been a great achievement. Um, it hit bestseller pretty much straight away, which was awesome. Someone said to me, don't do a book launch. Nobody goes to book launches anymore, Vince. And I'm like, I'm a marketer. Hold my beer. I've got this. <laughs> so I organized an event with about, I've got about 100 of my, my peers and friends um, together. And it was an amazing event. It really was. It was beautiful. The support there, the love there was incredible. I got to tell the story of writing it. Um, I had actually lost one of my sisters in the process of writing my book. She passed away from cancer. Um, and she was a big part of the motivation to finish that as well. Yeah. So so I got to share that with everyone, to thank the people that are really invested in me, who believed in me, and who supported me. So that was awesome. Uh, I also knew that everyone's going to want a signed copy of the book because that's what I want when I go to a book launch. Yeah. So I'm like, right. I got this. I put myself a fancy new pen, got all the copies of the books there, all the boxes that arrived. I'm like, sweet, writing these messages. I will tell you this, by the way, if you're signing books, don't sign their name in the book. The reason for that is because I went through a panic moment where someone came up, this woman, Mary, and I'm like, hey, Mary, so right. Hey, Mary, in the book. And then I suddenly thought, wait, that is her name, isn't it? Luckily, it was her name, but it's back up for a second. Yeah. No, but I, so I, I went through and I signed all these books, but then something happened and something shifted. Um, and that's because every time I signed that book and handed it to them, they would say something along the lines of, thanks, Vince, I can't wait to read this. Yeah. And every time I heard that, my stomach would not. And I left that event as a high extrovert. So I should be pumped up. I should be energized. I should be like, yeah, I'm taking on the world. Because uh, there are all these people paying attention to me, which is, you know, we're a fickle bunch of extroverts. Mm-hmm. Um, but instead, I went away from there feeling terrible, feeling all <laughs> knotted up inside, feeling all like my head was dizzy. And I just had these these voices playing over in my head constantly going, who the hell do you think you are, Vince? Mm-hmm. What makes you think you have any right to write a book? What, what makes you think anyone wants to read this trash? In fact, Vince, when they read it, you know what they're going to think? What an amateur. Yeah. And this was the thought process that played in my head. And <laughs> Just the guy that runs all of marketing for for Cigna Insurance, but you know, yeah, 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 know what you're doing. (laughs) (laughs) But but it was, and this is the thing with imposter syndrome. It very rarely aligns with the truth or facts or even. But um, but I made the dumbest decision in my life the next morning, um, which is I didn't want to talk about the book anymore. So I thought, that's it. I'm not going to post about it on social. I turned down three interviews, which this is the one thing I am gutted about. I turned down an interview with Forbes, with CIO Magazine and Diginomica, who wanted to do these big profile pieces on me and the book. And I just said to them all, I'm sorry, I'm really busy at the moment, uh, which is, I was busy, but it's still bollocks. I could have made the time. Yeah. And and this went on for like about probably two weeks where I really didn't talk about the book, didn't do anything. The book sales were actually still going really well, which did surprise me. But I remember getting a call from my mentor, one of my mentors, and 
He's the type of mentor that you don't call him, like, as in you, he doesn't call you, sorry. You have to book time with him. He's very important, you know. Um, so, but he just called me out of the blue. He's like, hey, Vince, like, I'm just checking in. How's the book sales going? Mm-hmm. So I told him the numbers and he said, oh, that's really good. And I said, yeah, he is. But I haven't seen anything out there. Haven't seen any posts, haven't seen any press, haven't seen anything. What's going on? And I said, oh, look, I'm just really busy. So I'm relying on word of mouth. You know, I had all these. We did actually have a lot of projects on at Signet. It was full on. But he just went, yeah. Nah, <laughs> so I'm gonna call you. On. Now, this was the thing that stunned me, man. And that he, so this this mentor of mine is eight times best-selling author, like New York Times best-selling author. I have consumed every single one of his books; they're amazing. Oh, sorry, at the time he was seven times. He was he was about to publish his eighth. And he goes, "Let me tell you a little secret." He goes, "I'm going to tell you what I go through every time I publish a book." And he just repeated back to me the exact same thing I just had been through. And it did two things to me. It made me feel that I wasn't alone. I was like, wow, I'm not the only one. Because I was really embarrassed about feeling those feelings and hearing those those voices. And I realized that people I look up to go through the same thing. Mm -hmm. And then the other thing it made me realize is the more we talk about this, the more we take the power away from it. And the more we talk about this, the more we can actually support each other. So it started a journey of really trying to understand imposter syndrome, trying to understand that. So I teach this to any of my clients when they're writing their book, that this is coming but I'm going to teach you how to fully embrace it, how to actually use awesome. this as your superpower. Uh, and then we go through all the tips and tricks on editing and all that. And I've got a, I literally have an editing company. So I, I use that to um, like a, a publishing company. So I use that to edit their books and get the cover designs down the layouts and all those kind of things. So, so there is a process, um, but the reason it's different for everybody, now we'll stipulate this is, and this is the thing people forget, it's your book. You actually can do whatever the hell you want with your book. You know, you can write that in whatever style, whatever format. In fact, one of my one of my very, very good friends, she was a client of mine. Um, she she did the unthinkable. First of all, everybody says, write for half an hour a day or 20 minutes a day or an hour a day or whatever. She goes, ah, screw all that. I'm pretty time poor. I'm going to write for eight minutes every day. And every single day, I wrote for eight minutes. And I thought, you know what? Whatever works for you. I love this. Yeah. Well, then she's, once again, it's consistency. You do that. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Oh, she had written a book, a full book, and and by the way, best-selling book within less than a year. I thought that was awesome. But the other thing she did was she went, okay, forget structure and narrative throughputs, and like you know, because you always have these narrative threads that kind of run through your whole book. I.e., you're thinking about what do you want them to think, feel, and do. She goes, nah, nah, don't care about that. She got a whiteboard and she drew thirteen, I think it was, pictures on the whiteboard, and she goes, there you go, that's my thirteen chapters. And I'm going, oh, I'm feeling anxious. I'm feeling anxious. What are you doing here? You know, I want this to succeed. Um, and then she just wrote each chapter individually and then literally put them on a table with any, meeny, miny, mo. What order should I put them in today? Um, and I'm telling you now, international best-selling book. Um, she hit the, I, I think it was the Wall Street Journal best-selling list. Um, and this book was just revered by women all over the world. And I just went, you know what? It just proves to me there are no rules. And anyone who tells you rules is, is rubbish. As long as as long as the book can be read, as long as you don't have too many grammatical spelling errors in it, all those kind of things, um, then then it still can have the impact that you want it to have. Well, and, and tell stories. I mean, that's, yep. you know, I, I look at, to this day, I, I look at books that I have started to read and then just gave up on. <laughs> and books that, that I, I go back and I read over and over and over again. It's always the yep. ones that have a good story narrative to it. You know, tell well, me. There's, there's a really good reason for that, Jeff. Like, and the, oh man, you've, now, you, now you've pushed my button on storytelling. I love this. Um, so people don't realize the power of storytelling. They don't realize the power of stories. And it serves to, as entrepreneurs, think about this. It serves two very important, very important um, kind of outcomes. The first is, and, and this is scientifically proven, when they map your brain, 
right? They put all these little wires on your brain and they map out how all the electrons are firing and things. What they've noticed is if you're telling a story, then certain neurons are firing at all the different times as you're telling the story. But the person that is listening to your story, their neurons were firing will match yours. Wow. Which means that you have, and they call it this neural coupling. So basically your brain and their brain is linked for this moment where mm -hmm. they are going on the exact same journey as you. Okay. So when you're telling a story, particularly a good story, they feel it all the way through there, which means they come to the same outcomes that you do. They come to the same conclusions, which is really powerful when you're trying to get someone to understand why they should buy something. Yeah. But the other thing that happens is when you're sharing a story, you're often sharing emotion and vulnerability. And this is really, really important because if we look at, like if you ever study neuromarketing, like we look at the three kind of aspects of the brain that are involved in decision-making, right? There's the neocortex, which is your logical brain, you know? So this is where, unfortunately, most marketers and entrepreneurs operate all the time. They go benefits and features and, you know, what's the price and all the practical things. And then why is no one buying my offering? Um, but that's not where the decision is made. The decision is actually made in the limbic system, which is your emotional brain, and then justified using the neocortex. Okay. But there's also a third area of your brain, which is the reptilian part of your brain. Mm -hmm. This is the oldest part of your brain. It keeps you alive. It's the part that protects you. It's the part that makes you run away when you know tigers and saber-tooths or whatever are coming for you. It's the part that reminds you to breathe, how to walk, all these kind of things. But it's there as a defense mechanism. Mm -hmm. And it's not involved in the decision-making, but it is involved in the decision-abandoning. So yeah. in other words, if it's... And you'll all feel this as well. You walk into a shop and someone comes up and they go, hello, and you're like something creepy here something doesn't <laughs> seem right i feel like i'm being manipulated i'm gonna leave that's your that's your reptilian brain hmm. right but what happens is so as entrepreneurs and as marketers and things we look at dealing with the uh, with the sorry with the reptilian brain by doing things like testimonies and social proof and you know five star rated and you know trust badges all these kind of things that we bring into our marketing but more powerful than all of that is storytelling hmm. because the moment you share something that is vulnerable the moment you share something that is personal or emotional, their brain, so the person listening to this, their brain goes, hey, wait a minute, this is a safe space. Hmm. If they feel that this is safe enough to share that information, then I, as the reptilian brain, are no longer needed. I can go and grab a coffee, sit in the corner, maybe watch some Netflix, whatever. I don't need to be involved in this decision process. So it's incredibly powerful. And I, I saw this firsthand uh, with a speaking gig. So this is back in my back in my massive public speaking days. Yeah. I had the opportunity, oh my goodness, to speak on stage with one of my heroes, Sir Ken Robinson. And I knew I had him, there's Michael T. Jones, there's a bunch of other really, from Google, it's a bunch of other really high profile speakers. And I'm going, how am I sharing the stage with these people? First of all, they're going to wipe the floor with me. I'm mm -hmm. very competitive. I don't like being wiped on the floor. You know? So I'm like, right, I'm going <laughs> to compete with these people. Um, so I really had to up my game and think about a really powerful kind of narrative, really powerful kind of thing that I'm, I'm sharing on. But all of that went out the window five minutes before I went on stage. Mm -hmm. So, so Ken Robinson was just finishing up and I was just absolutely blown away as always here. Unfortunately, he passed away last year, but he's just one of the most incredibly talented public speakers and, and inspiring public speakers ever. But he just finished up and I'm like, okay, right. Um, I'm get about five minutes before I have to go on stage, my phone rings. <laughs> I'm like, oh, well, it's my sister in Australia. And I thought, oh, you know, one of my sisters. I thought, let's just have a quick conversation. This is not the one that passed away from cancer. This was another one who was basically as when we were kids was our mum. It was the yeah. mum of the group. She's the one that mummed all of us, that nurtured all of us. She's just such a loving and incredible sister. And unfortunately, through circumstance that happened, she could never have children. She thought it was impossible for her to have kids. And she rang me and she was in tears. I thought something had gone wrong. And then I realized, nope, 
she turned around and she said, I'm pregnant. And oh, wow. I was so overwhelmed and so happy. I burst into tears. I'm going, sis, uh, this is the greatest news ever. I'm so happy for you. And she goes, I know, I had to tell you. And, like, oh, we, and we shared this moment. But then I realized, they go, Vince, you're up. <laughs> like, wow. Okay. First of all, okay. I remember what I'm supposed to speak on. I'm like, that's all gone out the door. Yeah. Uh, and then the other thing I realized is my eyes are now puffy. I've been bawling my eyes out with my sister, just going, oh, my goodness. So I thought, let's own this. Yeah. So I went out on stage. I got up to the microphone and said, look, uh, first of all, apologies, everyone. If I look a bit disheveled, if I look like I've been crying, it's because I just had the greatest news ever. Um, I And I just told them the story. I just said, look, you know, through circumstance, she can have a baby. Now she's pregnant. I've just been sharing the tears with her at the back. And then I realized by sharing this vulnerability, by talking about this, and I even said to them, I said, so I'm really stalling you all for a moment. Well, I remember what I'm even supposed to be speaking on. But right now, I'm just overwhelmed with emotion from what's just happened. Every single person in that crowd felt that connection with me. Yeah. And I looked on the front row and genuinely there were people there crying with me yeah. you know, at the experience and things. So they felt that because I was telling them the story. But the moment I shared that vulnerability, I, I everything I taught afterwards mm-hmm. just really hit home with them. They were oh, yeah. invested in it. They bought into it. They felt the connection and they trusted what it is I was saying to the point where afterwards, and I'm really competitive, as I said, we all have this rating system thing there where they rate each of the speakers. And I came out first equal with Sir nice. Robinson. And I'm like, Boom. So I rang my sister afterwards and said, that's it. You're getting pregnant every time I'm doing a major yeah. thing. <laughs> every time I'm in this situation again. Yeah, yep, yep. you got to ring me and tell me you're pregnant. Even just lie to me. I don't care. You know, I'll just share the moment with you. But I mean, I think too, people appreciate that honesty. Yeah, yeah. of course. Because yeah. they can all imagine being in that same situation. It's like, yeah. I don't even know where to start. <laughs> it's, it's something that we get in our heads as, as entrepreneurs as well. We forget that we're actually human beings. Uh, and corporate as well. Corporate even worse than this, honestly, particularly when you're at the top of the ladder. You just, you're not a human being. And no one else is a human being as well. Wrong. You're all human beings. We've well, got to remember yeah, we're all flawed. We're all mistakes. failing. We all make mistakes. Yeah. And you and you can't make a mistake at that point. You know, I oh, can't no, show no. weakness. I can't make a mistake or, you know, somebody's going to be after me. I genuinely saw that, man. Like, the amount of cutthroatness that was happening at the senior leadership level. Um, but. And I'm always cautious what I share here, but I'll anonymize this. One of the other senior leaders, when they found out that I was leaving, they came into my office. Now, I hardly spoke with this person, I thought, um, but apparently I'd had an impact on them. But they came into my office and they just started crying. And I was like, oh, and I was like, okay, well, I didn't expect them to, to, to be honest, I didn't expect them to grieve with me leaving, but sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I gave them a bit of a hug and I said, look, you okay? And they went, look, you're the only person I felt like I could actually be myself with here. I'm wow. always freaking out I'm going to lose my job. I'm always freaking out that somebody else is going to try and encroach on my territory. Everyone's always vying for each other's budgets and all that kind of crap. And, and I didn't realize that just by being myself there, which I was, I was always my own vulnerable self. Um, even when I was you know, trying to be something I wasn't, that would shine through whether I liked it or not. Mm-hmm. Uh, so in doing that, it kind of made her see that, that actually this is, you know, this is someone you can trust and this is someone you can be open with. And then I was leaving. So she's like, damn it, now I'm left with the sharks. You dick. <laughs> so yeah. Yeah, of course, he still had to check and make sure there wasn't a knife in your back. As you were oh, leaving. yeah, yeah, of course, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah okay, wait, where's the punchline here? <laughs> yeah, are you, are you going to take my office over? Because it yeah, is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. She's in there crying while selling all their boxes in there. <laughs> I'm taking this one. Yeah. Did you notice the paint sample she brought in with her? Yeah, too? yeah. yeah. <laughs> Measuring the desk size. Yep. Well, what's, uh, what's new in your world now? Oh man, I'm I'm just having a blast. I really am. Uh, I mean, I'm scaling the podcast. That's always, as you know, that's just a part and parcel for our business. We love it. Uh, I've gone from 
one episode a week to two episodes a week now to three episodes a week and possibly by the end of this year five episodes a week because yeah. i'm just loving this so much um obviously working on one-to-one coaching and helping people get seen but this year i'm doubling down on the two things that i really enjoy one of them is a book publishing stuff so as i said i set a target of doing 200 entrepreneurs becoming authors mm-hmm. um, then realized that that's a really hard thing to scale so that's when i came up with the concept of the collaboration books sure. uh, which have been done many times before but i looked at hey can i make this work and Actually, this was a really fun process, Jeff. I, I did this at Christmas where I thought, right, if I'm going to help 200 entrepreneurs become authors, I need to do this different. So I looked at all the different collaboration books or anthology books that are out there, looked at the ones that worked well, looked at the ones that worked poorly, uh, took the best of all those. And then I sat down with my team and, and I've hired a full-time publishing team so, so that I've always got them on tap selfishly so that they're always there when I need my books published. But, you know, they help my clients as well. Um, but I sat down with them. And I said, right, let's do this. Let's craft the best package and market. So what's the, like for the good ones, what do they cost? They cost three to $20,000. Okay, well, that's too expensive, right? I want to make it more accessible. We don't need to make that much money. We're actually really profitable as it is. So let's do something different. Let's charge 1500 for this. And what do they get for 1500? Well, first of all, they get to be called an author. Like, cool. Can we go a step further? Can we guarantee bestseller status? And my team went, no. And I said, why not? I said, because it's hard. And I said, well, what's our track record? 100%. Why aren't we guaranteeing this? Because it's hard. I said, come on, guys. And I realized we'd written the software that I've got software written that just scrapes Amazon every two hours. Probably shouldn't admit that actually. Amazon listen everywhere. Um, but scrapes them every two hours, just looks at movement in all the categories, looks at all the different stuff and uses predictive AI to tell you what are the areas, what are the keywords, what are all the kind of stuff you can do to get that cut through and become bestseller. And it works really well. And we've got the marketing tactics. We're all really professional marketers. Been doing this for around 30 years. So got it. Then we said, okay, we're guaranteeing them bestseller status. Now, what's the next thing? Well, whenever they get these packages, they get a copy of their book. Well, that's rubbish. You get a copy of your book, it sits on your shelf. The best thing you want to do is you want to show off. You want to go and give a copy to all your family and go, ha ha, I'm an author. There you go. Are you an author? I didn't think so. Never mind. Thanksgiving's going to be interesting. Um, so, so we give them 10 copies of the physical book, 10 copies of the ebook, so they can give those away to people and things as well. But then we realized, and this is where it got fun, is we realized that you don't actually make that much money off book sales. Like mm-hmm. Certainly not on Amazon, right? You know, my first book is probably my best bestseller. Um, and I've made, I don't know, 25000 off that all up. But not enough, you know, that's over a few years. It's not enough to justify a full-time job kind of thing. Yeah, you know? and what, what's the stats? I mean, it's literally like uh, the average the average book. I mean, it's like 90% of authors don't sell more than like $5,000 worth of books. Exactly, exactly. So so you're not going to get rich off that unless you're J.K. Rowling, Tim Ferriss, any one of those, you know. So we said, how about we don't give them any of the money? Okay. Why don't we take all the profits of the book sales and we give it to a charity or a social good campaign? And then we had so much fun finding like charities and, and like just little known organizations that are doing this incredible good in the world. And we're like, let's align with all of them and just be able to bless them and donate money to them. And then we're like, but let's now give the real value. And this is the bit that people miss, the real value to the entrepreneur. Because it's not in those book sales, but it's in what you do with the book next. Mm-hmm. And this is the, the mistake most entrepreneurs do. They go, I'm a best-selling author. I was in a collaboration book with nine other entrepreneurs, and it's on the shelf behind me. Yeah. And we're going, no, let's show you. Let's teach you how to turn that into, into real results. So one month after the publication date, we give you – uh, all the ebook files, we get the Kindle version, Kobe version, PDF version, we bundle it up for you. 
And we teach you, we give you a strategy document and teach you how to turn that into lead magnets, value adds, upsells, cross-sells, downsells, how to get yourself booked in summits and podcasts using this book, how to then turn that into something to add to your new clients as you onboard them, how to like all the different ways that you can actually profit from this book and make it work for your business. So I tested that in market. I, I came up with, I wanted to make sure everyone was aligned with a title of a book rather than just go, hey, let's get 10 entrepreneurs and find a theme. Like, no, no, let's find out keyword researched um, topics that really resonate. So had, I wrote about 50 of those. One of my one of my advisors came to me, Jeff, I think he's, he's learned the lesson now because I give him so many headaches. He came to me and he goes, look, that's, I know you, just please just launch one book, right? One theme, one book, fill that book with the 10 people, then move on to the next one. And I went, or, and hear me out here, and you see him going, no. And I went, what if I launch with, and I looked out, the only number I saw was nine. So I went, what if I launch with nine books? He goes, why the hell would you do that? And I said, for two reasons. Firstly, it is hilarious seeing your response. Yes. And, I said, <laughs> and secondly, you just told me I can't do something, and you know that's going to motivate me to do it. So launch with nine of these things, thinking, let's see what this is like. Let's see what the market reception is like. This could backfire on me big time. Yeah. I filled five of those books in a week. It wow. was staggering. And then we filled the sixth book. I've got three in market at the moment. I'm just looking at them now. Three in market, they have like one or two slots left in each. Um, so if anyone wants to sign up for those, they have to be super duper quick because that just mm. is going to fill in the next few days. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so that that just kind of blew me away, man. So that's one of the things I'm doubling down on this year. And the other one is I'm a super technology junkie nerd. So I've been looking into... And everyone, honestly, I can picture you now. Your eyes are going to glaze over when I say the words NFTs, like non-fungible tokens or Web3 or blockchain or any of those kind of things, because I know my eyes used to roll over as well. But I tell you this, when you get past the glossy, glossy hype, you get past the, oh, I'm a 14-year-old millionaire now, or I own this and that makes me spend, get beyond all of that. The technology under this is super exciting. Oh, it's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, the, the smart contract aspect alone enables us as entrepreneurs to be able to deeply connect and drive the right behaviors with all of our clients and all of our potential clients. So, so that's been something I'm really excited about launching four different NFT series this year to really okay. showcase that utility factor and really help entrepreneurs to, to make the most from this. That's awesome. So what, what type of NFTs are you, are you launching? Oh my goodness. Okay. So uh, one of them is a test one. I'm doing I'm doing one called the Kanji Club. It's actually coming out in a few weeks. Um, it's called the Kanji. The technical name is the Kanji Entrepreneurs Book Club. So essentially, is when you buy this uh, or obtain this, you are going to get um, a free ebook sent to you, a free entrepreneurial marketing ebook sent to you every two weeks. So okay. you just have all this resource that you can use. And then once a quarter, we're coming together as a group with this little mini book club mastermind and we're going to get the authors in there and you can query them and they're going to teach you about what they were teaching in the books themselves. But the main reason I wanted to launch that one is I'm testing a couple of technology that's in underneath it. So I'm building out all the smart contracts and everything myself, but also because I want to give it away. Um, and what we're going to do to give it away is we are going to teach people how to enter the, the NFT universe, essentially. So we're going to do these five days, a series of five day challenges where mm -hmm. you learn all about how this adds value to you as an entrepreneur. But you also each day have to do one of the steps required to enter into this world. So set up a MetaMask wallet, set up an OpenSea account, set up all the different things. And we'll teach you all of those different things. They're not hard at all. But yeah. at the end of that, as a reward, you get a free NFT. You get wow. a country NFT. And you go on the, what used to be called whitelist, but I really don't like the term. So we're calling them allow lists now. Allow list for an upcoming NFT project. Yeah. Um, so that's the first one. Second one's based around a summit that I'm doing in July. 
Mm. Um, so each of the speakers of the summit, there's going to be 15 speak, uh, 50 speakers there. Each of them are being turned into this little anime chibi version of themselves. That's going to be an NFT. Uh, and you can you can attend the summit. You know you can attend the summit for five dollars. I think we're making the tickets, which yeah. is really five days. It's going to be really worth it. Or you can buy the VIP package, get access to the videos. You know how summits work. Mm-hmm. But also you can mint these NFTs, which just means buy this NFT. And if you do that, you get the VIP, you get the bonuses, you get access to a mastermind we're launching. And depending on who you bought, if you bought the Jeff NFT, you will get an hour session with Jeff. Wow. So we aligning with each of the speakers and it really is just a way for us to make it that all the speakers involved actually share the information in their network um because that's harder than it sounds sure uh, and then i've got another one that's launching around my podcast just to drive the right behaviors of the podcast so if you listen to this won't be till november but if you listen to an episode within 48 hours of it being live you'll get a code that code we plug into a website you get a free nft and when you stack these in it you get access to merchandise master classes or if you get like 20 or 50 of them, I can't remember the number now, you actually get a guest spot on my show, that kind of thing. So that's really cool. But the last one is the one I'm super passionate about. And your listeners are going to be one of the first to hear it here uh, because it's based around a children's book I wrote when about 15 years ago. Uh, We tried to tell my son about Santa Claus and he just looked and went, nah, that's a stretch. (laughs) We just went, oh man. He was like four years old and we thought, way too smart for his britches. So we said, look, you can't tell your friends, but Santa Claus ain't real. And sorry if any of you didn't know that already, but Santa Claus ain't real. It's just something that Coca-Cola and your parents made up so that you could behave. And two things happened from there. One, he turned around and joked and said, well, if you're going to make up a story, make it interesting and put ninjas in it. Well, I went, okay. that, yes, yep, done. Uh, but the other thing is it made me realize that I really don't like this concept of behave in the relation to this. Uh, and this has been a large portion of Christmas for a lot of people. It's like naughty and niceless. We're now elf on the shelf. But if you behave yourself, you get reward. Mm. And by behave yourself, we're really just saying, do what your parents tell you and you'll get a reward. Yeah. And for me, I'm looking at my kids who are both just two of the most amazing human beings on the planet. And I'm going, I want so much more for them than just do what we tell them. Mm. I want them to aspire to be something better, to aspire to be an awesome human being. So what if we could change the narrative around that? So we created the story where we brought together all the Christmas traditions, little baby Jesus, uh, and then the ninja was like following the wise men. He had to get there and he had to protect baby Jesus from Santa and his evil ninja elf clan. And there's a big battle. Santa loses and surrenders and he gets banished to the North Pole as penance. Once a year, he delivers presents. You all know that how that works out. Yeah. Um, and then little baby Jesus turns around and said, look, you've achieved your mission. Now your goal is to roam the land as the Christmas ninja, looking for people that are worthy of the traits of honor, respect, self-sacrifice, or putting others above yourself. And what he would do is he would bestow upon them the the accolade saying, you've now been deemed worthy. And then he'd give them a present. And then now they are a Christmas ninja as well. And this started our family tradition. So I wrote the book, never, never did the artwork for the book because I suck at art. Um, But we started our family tradition where every Christmas we would pick one person each that we deemed worthy of the Christmas ninja. And on Christmas Day, we'd get up, we'd put on, uh, we'd open one present first. We used to put on black outfits, and then it's summer here at Christmas. So we just yeah, got I was going to say, it's got to be pretty hot. Yeah, yeah. It was damn hot, man. So we're like, <laughs> okay, just dress in our shorts and t-shirt, we're fine. But what we would do is we'd go around on Christmas morning and we'd try and deliver these presents without getting seen. Mm-hmm. And these presents would state that you've been deemed worthy for the trade of X mm-hmm. uh, and it'll have the story in there. And straight away, a whole pile of people knew it was us. I mean, they're like, duh, who else could that be? That was hilarious. There were a bunch of people that have never figured out it was us, which I thought was hilarious as well. But it was about two years ago, just pre-COVID, um, just after Christmas, I was at a networking event. 
And I was chatting, making small talk with some guy. I just said, oh, how's your Christmas? Mm. And he goes, oh, it was bizarre, man. Like, so bizarre. I mean, what? And he goes, yeah, I got this present from the Christmas ninja. <laughs> a little part of me chuckled on the inside. But then I realized we never picked this guy. Yeah. Which means somebody else has taken else this. Made, yeah. Yeah. And that, that blew me away because I was like, what if, what if we could affect a change? Mm. What if by rewarding the right behaviors, i.e. being a decent human being, what if we could negate some of the negativity that's happening in the world right now? Mm-hmm. What if we could get past a lot of the war and the pandemic and all the stuff that's just consuming and depressing just about all of us? Mm-hmm. So we set about with, I, I said, we're taking the book. I'm going to get the artwork done. I found this, this beautiful artist. She's so talented. She's doing the artwork for it now. But then we're launching this NFT series where you you buy this NFT and there's a whole pile of stuff on the roadmap. So you get all these benefits and things for having this NFT. But two of the main ones is every single year, you're going to get access to the Christmas Ninja Christmas party. Uh, and that's going to be a lot of fun. We've got celebrities lined up and everything. Plus, we're going for the Guinness Book of World Records as the largest online Christmas party. Um, but you also get a companion NFT each year. So okay. each year, you're going to get a worthy NFT. So worthy 2022, worthy 2023. And your job is to gift that to somebody that you deem worthy for you to honor the trait of that Christmas Ninja. Um, so that's been really exciting. Then we're, then we're also going to pump a whole pile of the, the funds from that. So a whole pile of the profits are going to go back into a project called the Lone Ninja Project, which is about looking after kids that are in hospital or people that are stuck in hospital over Christmas, about blessing them. We're going to come together as a community. There's going to be 10,000 of these NFTs plus 10,000 companions. So we could technically have a community of probably around 15,000 people that would be like actively trying to make people's Christmas a better time. So that, so that I'm super excited about, man. We've got so much on the roadmap for that. And we've got so many people on the team and oh, it's just going to be a blast. Keep me in the loop on all this, buddy. Cause I'm, that, of course. Yeah. I, I, I shall be the Christmas Ninja Texas edition. So <laughs> I love it. I love it. You have to be a ninja with a cowboy hat. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah and it's, we don't get to wear flip flops during Christmas here, but no. Yeah. <laughs> all right well let's uh let's transition into the fast five questions here oh looking forward to this yeah yep always ready all right so first one you wake up in the morning business is gone 500 bucks in your pocket laptop computer place to live and food and drink and all that good stuff what are you going to do first um probably first have a cup of coffee and okay. second is i would tap into my network um, entrepreneurship is about uh, relationships. And if you've got good relationships with people, then you can build any business off the back of that. So you're not actually starting from fresh once you've built that audience, you know, and you built a, a network of incredible entrepreneurs like you, Jeff, you know, like yeah. I'd be reaching out to everyone going, like, how can I serve you guys? How can I add value? What can I do that's different that would, you know, make a change in your life and as a result, get reward in mine. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, so you go back to doing what you do every day, anyhow, which is yeah, exactly just add value. It's not that hard. All right, what's the biggest business mistake you've ever made? Oh my goodness, um, biggest business mistake I've ever made. I, I'm tempted to talk about imposter syndrome because most of the businesses I, I have failed have come from my own insecurities. Mm-hmm. Um, but the other thing I would say is not building the team fast enough or not bringing them on the journey and. It's certainly one of my early startups. I can I can pinpoint the reason it failed was because I felt like I had to be, as a CEO, I felt like I had to be kind of above the team and things and hold things from them and carry all that stress, not realizing that we're in this journey together. And and just I had kind of lost the team as a result of that. So that was a that was a very young Vince and a very uh hard to swallow lesson to learn, that's for sure. You know, it's funny. Last night I was having a conversation with my VA 
who's in um, in the Philippines. Yeah, and you know she's a she's a single or she's a, a stay at home mom. Yep. Uh, had no experience with podcasting, no experience with marketing. Just something about her. I just said something about her is gonna work. Yep. Yep. And she was sitting there and she said, you know, I've got other clients, but nobody else treats me like an equal and a partner. Yes. And I was that's like, oh, so critical, man. Yeah. Dude, you know, that's exactly it. You know, and, and yeah. she is. She's my partner in this. I mean, she's found some of the most amazing guests that I've ever I would have never come across yeah. as a result. Well, of that. This is the thing we forget as entrepreneurs. We, we always think that, you know, we, we know we have to be confident as entrepreneurs. We've got to be confident and optimistic. But confident is not ego and we need to remove the ego from that if you bring people in as your equal they will just be beside you for the entire journey and it's so much better you don't have to be alone in this journey it's a crazy journey anyway but having a team of people there that you can fall on they can fall on you is just incredible mm-hmm. well it's funny yeah she's having a baby too and she's like oh my god i'm gonna be off for like a month i mean are you gonna want me back and i'm like uh, i'm gonna want you back sooner than that but uh okay. yeah 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 exactly <laughs> <laughs> What's a good book that you'd recommend for our audience? Okay. Well, I'm conflicted here because I want to say all my books. Yes. <laughs> <But> <laughs> well, they're already going to look those five word affirmations. Now, nah. um, look, there's, I'm, I'm torn between two, actually. There's, if you're looking to market your business, there's, I'm going to cheat here and say two. Sorry, Jeff. Um, there's one called Made to Stick by Chip and Dan Heath. Uh, it's an older book, but I, I reread it once a year and teach you principles of creating content and copy and marketing that really does like stick with people. Mm-hmm. But then there's one by one of their students, uh, Jonah Berger, and he wrote a book called Contagious that I genuinely read every single year. I love this book to bits because what it teaches you is what makes your message so resonate with people that they want to share it out there. So it goes beyond like, you know, just emotive content into what's called arousal emotion, emotions, terrible name for that. It looks at social currency. It looks at all these different kinds of aspects and how you can bring that into your business. If you can nail that, you can honestly read that book enough and implement those. You will almost guarantee success. That is awesome. I love that. And those are two new ones I've not heard of. So oh, be, I'll be on Amazon so at five minutes yeah. ordering these things. So yeah, you're definitely going to enjoy them. Yeah. Along with the with the uh, Vince Warnock library on top of that. There but. you go. Of course, of course. <laughs> <laughs> What's a good tool that you use in your business every day? I always use the example of an Evernote for me. Yeah. What's a good yeah. tool that you use every day? I have I have many and I was tempted to say all of them like Calendly or Keep Note and all this, but Trello is really my go-to. I just I live out of Trello. I I don't just use it for the business because I've got it on the business side with my team and we all use Trello to kind of organize what we're doing, but I also use it for my personal life. I plan my trips in Trello. I plan what amusement things I'm going to go and see or you know, what shops I want to go to when I'm in a new area. Or I actually plan out my goals for the year and I plan out my thought leadership stuff. So any any kind of platforms I want to create for myself, I put it into Trello. So yeah, I would be completely lost without it. Uh, so we use it for, I use it with my team and I've got team all around the world. So yeah, it's, I mean, it is the best collaboration tool I've ever worked with for, for that, but never Definitely. use it for personal side. I'm going to have to expand yeah. my horizons a little bit. <laughs> we set it up. My kids think I'm such a nerd, but we set it up for our family goals. So we said like each of us sets 25 goals each for the year. Um, so we set personal goals, relationship goals, financial goals, fitness goals, uh, and you know, business related goals. Cause I try and teach my kids, even when they're young to have their own business. 
So we had a shared Trello with all these goals and they're like, dad. But then they started to get really competitive as, oh, dad, you've only brought over five of yours to the completed section. I've done 10. And I'm like, you little dicks. <laughs> so now I've got to go back now. Yeah, 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 exactly. So you realize my goals are way bigger, oh, but you're more experienced there. Damn it. <laughs> all right. I'm going to knock you down now. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Disqualify. What's yeah. the best way people can get a hold of you if they're interested in learning more? Oh my goodness, I make it so difficult. No, I'm joking. Um, so make it really easy. Just go to chasingtheinsights.com. Just chasingtheinsights.com. You're going to see, that's the home of my podcast. You're going to see my books on there. You're going to see, if you scroll down on the front page, you're going to see a little section there with all my social links. And unless you're a spammer, just reach out and connect with me everywhere. I always accept friendship requests and things because I love meeting new people. But you're also going to see two really important links on that page. Uh, one of them at the top is a free strategy call. And if you're ever stuck, you're ever going, hey, I need some help. I just don't, like there's an aspect of marketing or authoring or anything like that that I'm really struggling with. Just reach out and talk to me. Book a time with me and I'll give you the clarity you need. There's no obligation whatsoever. I just really want to bless you and help you. And then the other link you're going to see at the top there is become an author. And if you are interested in becoming an author, and I can tell you now, we don't have time to go into the doors that it's going to open you, the potential it has for your business. Now, I would just tell you it is staggering. If you want to do that, have a look on there and you'll see the current books that we uh, we have in market at the moment um, and click on any one of those, get registered, but reach out to me on social just to make sure because not everybody gets in. So when you register for one of those books, you're not automatically in. I'll have to have a chat with you, talk about what you're going to do uh, right and make sure you're a good fit for the book and it's a good fit for you as well. So yeah, definitely just go to chasingtheinsights.com. Brilliant. Well, we'll put that on our show notes page. So folks, um, I, I will tell you this has been probably one of my favorite interviews this year. Um, Vince and I met a couple of weeks ago and it was just a blast. Oh, and man, I knew, so, I knew way we were cut from yeah. the same cloth <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. right away. I seriously, I'm going, how is it that we were, we were twins somehow, but born in completely opposite sides of the world. Absolutely. I'm sure yes. there's something that's happened there. Yeah. Something you, broke. We're going to have to get you speaking here. Or I'm going to have to go speaking there. So we can. hundred percent. hundred percent. I'm, I'm definitely planning to get to Texas. Yeah. Brilliant. Um, well, thank you very much for being on Vince. I really appreciate it. I'm super excited to hear about all this stuff and uh, folks Vince, reach out to him, um, his podcast, please listen to it because he's got some wonderful episodes. I've, I've just been obsessed lately uh, listening to it. So please make sure that you listen um, and reach out to him. If you, I mean, he's completely honest about the free strategy call. If you have a question, call or you know, reach out and he will work with you. So thanks a lot. We will uh, be back here on the next show. Uh, once again, we produce shows Monday, Wednesdays, and Fridays every week. So make sure that you are subscribed right down below me. And we will make sure to, um, to uh, put out good shows for you and wonderful guests like Vince. So that's thank you, my friend. Thank you so much for having me. All right, man. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the Freedom Nation podcast. You can find us on Apple Podcasts and all the major channels. Wherever you're listening, please subscribe to the channel and leave a rating and review. If you have friends and family that could benefit from their own Freedom Day, please share with them. Finally, join Freedom Nation by following us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. 